Hey there, friends. How's it going? My name is Kyle Devlin, and I am the host of this podcast. This is the Having a Blast podcast. Having a Blast is a pop punk and emo podcast where we'll be doing a deep dive on important albums and bands. We'll also be speaking with band members, producers, and friends. If you happen to like what you hear, if you could do me a huge favor, perhaps give us a five-star review. That just really helps get the algorithms working in our favor, and then more people can hear the podcast. Or Another thing that really helps us out is if you share it with a friend. If you've got a friend that enjoys this type of music, pop punk and indie, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. friends welcome to the show this is having a blast i am kyle devlin your host today we got a fun one for you i'm excited because we are speaking with mr chris beeble he is an audio engineer slash producer at the legendary the blasting room in fort collins colorado this studio is owned by bill stevenson and jason livermore you will know bill stevenson as the drummer of the descendants as well as all as well as black flag as well as only crime chris was very kind in giving me some of his time today to discuss what it's like to recorded The Blasting Room. I wanted to know more about him and his history, how he got into music, how he got into recording. I've always been curious and fascinated about the ethos and the process of recording at The Blasting Room. I've read so many interviews with artists and bands that have recorded there. Some of your favorite records, just like my favorite records, have been produced there. Lots of fat records and epitaph, but also more recently, records that Chris has had the distinct pleasure of working on. I'm sure it was fun to work on these records. He worked on the new Rising against Nowhere Generation. He also worked on Bad Vibrations by A Day to Remember, and he worked on My Shame is True by Alkaline Trio, and so many others. Check out his Discog. You can go to the Blasting Room site to get more information about him and his background. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with Chris. Again, thank you for doing it, Mr. Beeble. If you are in a band, I would highly recommend, if you can, going and recording at the Blasting Room. Yeah, get a hold of Chris, because he seems like a very nice guy to work with. All right, so without further ado, this is my my wide-ranging conversation with Mr. Chris Beeble of The Blasting Room. Hello. Morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. Nice to meet you, Chris. Nice to meet you, too. Via Zoom is always fun. Yeah, totally. Thank you for joining me on a Sunday. Are you generally off on Sundays or do you record? How does that work exactly? Yeah, I typically try to take weekends off, just especially my wife and I just had a baby girl last December. Congratulations. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. So as my general rule, I try to not work weekends, but you know, there's always the case where it's like a six day project or like, and don't want to split it up or there's something like sometimes all the band members like, these are the only days we can get off. So, you know, there's, there's exceptions to it. So I'm not extremely, extremely strict on it, but yeah, as a rule, yeah, try to like, and at the very minimum have one day off to spend with the family, but I, I shoot yeah. for two. Absolutely. That's cool, man. Yeah. That makes sense. If you've got a band and they've got a particular schedule or they can only do a certain amount of days or they've got right. a tour coming up or something, that makes sense. Yep, exactly. 
Well, again, I just wanted to thank you for taking the time. I've been following you for a little while just online and things. And just to give you a little bit of context, I play in a punk rock band. I've been in bands and stuff. And I grew up on Fat Records and Epitaph. And there's just so many records associated with the Blasting Room, whether it was mixed there or they did the whole project there. I grew up on Descendants. So I, like you, probably grew up listening to a lot of Bill Stevenson. And I really enjoy podcasts. So I wanted to start a podcast that was geared towards music, but also I think I'm steering it more towards punk rock and personal development and just how those two things have parallels and whatever association there is and bucking the status quo to try to do something outside the norm. But I like talking to people who are behind the scenes because I really enjoy the creative process being in the studio and just seeing something grow from nothing. And I would imagine you being an engineer, you enjoy that as well. And I think that's even reflected in your bio on the site. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into music and maybe some experiences growing up and things? Yes, I will try to do it as non-long-winded as is possible. (laughs) Wind as much as possible, my friend. You're good. Wind as much as possible. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I guess you can always edit me down. That would be much appreciated, probably. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess I got into music. Actually, like, as far as, like, playing and stuff... I feel like I got in pretty late in the game. I mean, I I played French horn, you know, in fifth and sixth grade. Just they do the thing at the elementary schools where they like bring ba- like the band instructors in and you got to try all the instruments. <laughs> I was just kind of like, you know, they got the trumpets and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Trumpets are super cool. Trombones, oh, those are fun. They got to fly. Um, <laughs> and then there was just like this Eeyore character in the back that had the French horn and he was just like, nobody wants to play the French horn, you know? <laughs> and I was just kind of like an empathetic kid. I was just like, oh, well, you know, I'll play the French horn, but I was really bad at it. And <laughs> it was kind of two years where like did it, but it was like, yeah, I don't feel like it really counts. Besides like maybe a good like dart of a foundation and like sight reading and that kind of stuff. Sure. But yeah, then middle school rolls, rolls around and then just the music I listened to as in, I think was pretty common. I mean, it probably is still common, but especially I feel like when I was in middle school, which was like early 2000s, I was just like became like who you hung out with was like the music you listened to. Right. So for me, it started off, my gateway band was very much, I guess there's two. It was Blink-182 and Linkin Park. Uh, I feel like they kind of both started at the same time. So yeah, I became like a pretty big Blink-182 fan and then became like a massive Linkin Park fan. But it's funny because like, I guess true as I like continued my music fandom is like, I would get really into these bands, but it'd be more like I get really into these albums. So for Blink-182, I I feel like I can't call myself really like a Blink-182 fan anymore because like, I just like loved Enemy of the State and I loved Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. And then I just kind of yeah. stopped, you know. And okay. then with Linkin Park, it was like, I just, I feel like Hybrid Theory was just like such a important record for me, like growing up, like my first introduction to heavier music. And that led to like a whole lot of other stuff. Linkin Park led me to like Thursday, led me to Thrice, a lot more like the emo, mm-hmm. post-hardcore stuff. And that's really like where I stayed for a long time. I still call Thrice my favorite band of all time. I'm like, I, I'm a pretty diehard fan. I, I I love their stuff. They just released a new album. I think it's great. Yeah. And, you know, and then, so there was just like branches from there. But, you know, so I guess middle school, I was just like a diehard music listener. And then I think that kind of like started to instill this dream of like, man, I'd really love to be involved, like playing this music, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think high school, my group of friends, like a lot of them were musical. We started a band and I was like, all right, I'm in. Okay, I'm the tallest of all of us, you know? So I'll play like the big tall guy guitar. You know, I'll play the bass guitar. I, that was like, <laughs> I had no, it was like so funny. I'd love to like look like if there was video, 
like of the first time I picked up a bass because I didn't even I had no concept of how to play it. I had this little DVD that came with my like media play bass. Mm hmm. You know, they started off with like hammer-ons, which is like like with your left hand, which was like a really weird way to, I think, start. Yeah, <laughs> like, I agree. Yeah. So like I hadn't incorporated any right hand. I'm just like, oh, okay, this is how you play bass. I guess that's how you do it. <laughs> you know, like, it probably took like a week or so before I like realized, oh, no, no. This is so funny that I had like absolutely zero context for it. That's funny. But, I'm yeah. a guitar player, so I understand the mm. idea of hammering on a bass, especially with the big strings when you're just introducing your hands to that oh, instrument. Absolutely. It sounds I feel like it'd be hard. You know, yeah. But luckily, it wasn't like too long. I mean, it. I mean, I was a pretty dumb kid, but I guess luckily I, I caught on quick enough. It's probably only like a few days, you know, but yeah. So I joined my band though, like a week before I bought my first bass, but I was just like, I'm in, I want to be in a band. Heck yeah, let's do this thing. And then I just kind of kept with it. And it was, you know, it was a really funny start. Cause like, you know, there'd be sections of the songs I didn't know what to do. So I just like wouldn't play, you know, in my head, that's like, that's fine. I guess I just won't play here. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. This is really, really humorous. What was your first band yeah. called? Oh, this is a little cringy. Uh, we were called Half and Half. Okay. Okay. because we were half Asian and half white. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I like yeah. that. It was kind of funny. Yeah, and that led, I could probably play like five or six bands through high school. I think like kind of just constantly like, I don't know, like finding new people. And, you know, bands, at least in my high school, were kind of like dating. It was like, it all happened so fast. And then like, and they even had like the drama of dating, you know, kind of sure. funny. But it was also like, it was a really cool atmosphere to kind of get into it though, because there were so many bands in my high school and our battle of the bands were like extremely competitive to uh, half of the, like the fray went to my high school. So oh, okay. yeah. So there was like kind of this like, oh my gosh, like it's doable. Like we can do this, you know? And I sure. think that fed a lot of our like ambitions, ambitions and like kept us optimistic and kept the dreams big and alive, you know, which sure. is important, especially when you're, you're starting. Like, I feel like half the fun of being in a band is like, you write that song and you just instantly dream like, of, you know, playing it live, people singing along. So yeah, high school was cool for that. And like, you know, after about two years, I was like, this is really fun. I want to kind of push this further. And then at that point, I was listening to like really heavy music. I never got like too into death metal or anything, but like kind of like the metal core of the time. I was like, you know, like Event Sevenfold, Waking the Fallen, like mm -hmm. that, that album. And that kind of led to like Unearth and a lot of like kind of Christian metalcore bands because I was like a group religious. Okay. The Darkest Hour album at the time, I forget. So just some of those bands, like that was kind of like early on in high school. And just for context, just, what year was this in high school? Oh, yeah. So I got high school, it would have been 2000. 2003. Okay, cool. Yeah, so like 2003 to 2004. And then I took this really weird left turn. Where I was like, you know what? Like, I really love playing bass, but we we're all a little big for your britches at that age. And you're thinking like, I'm I'm good at this. This is getting like boring. I was like, I should start playing jazz. So I just took this like, yeah, really weird left turn. I joined the jazz band and I got like really deep into it. And then also weirdly, I got really deep into Rush at the time. Which all I did was play like listen to, and practice jazz and listen to Rush. Rush and Weather Report slash like Jocko Pistorius. Uh -huh. That was like the rest of my high school was kind of that. So that led me to like trying to audition for colleges, play bass. And it was a little bit of just kind of a challenge. Let's see if I can do this. I never had an ambition of being like a jazz bass player, really. But I just wanted to kind of see if I could, I guess, even get into college for that. And then I visited the University of Denver's campus. And it was really important to my parents that I do like a four-year college program and get like sure. a bachelor's. And I was really fortunate enough that my grandparents had paid for a majority of that before they passed. So yeah, I had this opportunity. Like, heck yeah, let's do it. And I ended up like getting into DU's jazz program, barely. So I, that kind of made me think like, 
all right, I know I'm not going to be like a jazz bass player. What other like avenues can I pursue that, you know, is still involved in music, but isn't solely based on my performance as a, like, you know, my ability to perform as a bass player. Because I, I definitely yeah. like, while I'll, I'll like consider myself a good bass player, I have like a lot of limitations and like, I know like, there's just things like I'm not very flashy. And, you know, I feel like if you're going <laughs> to, I don't know. And maybe some of it, a lot of that I think is true. Some of this I think maybe just mental stuff. But like to me, if you're gonna like make it as a jazz bass player, you need to be like one of the best best there is, you know. Sure. And for me, like jazz always kind of like made sense on like a cerebral level. <laughs> so like I was always limited to like do the cool shit that I love, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Limitations of my plans. So what other avenue can I pursue that's not performance? And do you have this audio production program? Start to look into that. And it started to really pique my interest. And I was like, okay, I think this is going to work really well for me. I already kind of have like a math brain. So I was like, mm, I, I don't know. And this is just, it seems like it'll be a good time. It really clicked. And I ended up kind of like throughout college, like living at the, the college's recording studio, recording my band throughout all of college, recording friends' bands. Yeah, I mean, I would spend like, actually like literally spend the night in the studio yeah I, didn't, I had a great professor and i learned a lot of the theory and like the foundational stuff and then as part of that program to graduate you needed a summer internship between your junior and senior year yeah i kind of had this big dream of going and doing that abroad in london i literally i set this goal like i'm gonna send out 50 letters and i think 25 of them were in the uk the other like 22 of them were just kind of either like new york Nashville, LA, or I mean, there's like a couple in Boston. There was all spread out. And then I just, I applied to two, yeah, two or three places locally. And the, the one that I was actually like, would have been was pumped about was like the Blaster Room. But even that, that seemed a little bit of a stretch for me. Okay. What so, did the letter say? Do you remember? Gosh, I don't remember. Were you essentially saying, I'll come work for you guys for free, potentially? Yeah, or do yeah, I come exactly, shadow you exactly. guys, but to potentially maybe help you guys well, I think out, I was just out like at explaining some point? Like my requirement is like, yeah, I need to like intern over the summer i'll do anything you want just want to come and like absorb what it is you guys do yeah so yeah and i like i said i sent out 50 letters so none of them got like a bite like i talked to a few people on the phone everyone was just like no dude like we're not gonna like for like two or three months no no way are we gonna like have you fly out and like do that that's just a pain in our ass you know <laughs> and i get that like now that like i actually like help run the internship program here now and that makes sense to me now i can see that but like you know, as like the 20 year old kid, I was like, oh no, like I really like, it was a bummer. But I ended up, I'd had Bill's phone number in my phone because my band had had our EP mixed by Andrew there in 2008. And I had booked cool. it through Bill. Yeah. Which to be honest, at that point, that was the context for which I knew Bill was I knew okay. Bill as the owner of the Blasting Room. I grew up playing in the Denver scene. That was a big part of me. And the Blasting Room just had this kind of, while it was like known as this massive like punk rock studio for local bands of like a lot of genres, especially kind of like gosh i guess it was kind of everywhere but even poppier stuff locally was there was this tier of like oh these bands these bands like up here their stuff was recorded mixed in the blasting room and then everything yeah. else wasn't and sounded like shit that was like <laughs> and, it, and it was and it was way more drastic back then because home recording and stuff it was the, it was a different time where like the difference was just insane you know sure so that was more my like familiarity with the blasting at the time. So I just knew Bill as the owner and the guy that I booked we we had booked our session with. So I ended up calling him and we talked for about I think forty five minutes and it was like a really really great but funny like kind of funny conversation. We kind of we talked we kind of went everywhere. We talked about oh at the time I think Miles was pretty young and we talked about Miles had started cussing. He's like I just don't know how to feel about it. Like I feel like as like the generic thing is I should like punish him, but like I don't really care. What do you think? And he's like asking like I, I don't know. <laughs> 
That's right. Miles is his son, I'm assuming. Miles is, yeah, Miles is Bill's son. Yeah. Okay. So funny conversation. And we ended up like chatting about the internship. And then we agreed to meet Pueblo Viejo, which is like a local Mexican restaurant in town, still here. And we got food and it was like, it was really good, but there's definitely, I couldn't really tell what was going on. You know, I, I was filled with a lot of just nervous, like excited energy. Um, sure. Anxiety. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, the conversation was great, but then there was, there were times like where Bill, he'd fallen asleep at the meal. And I was like, what do I do? So I'd kind of like, <laughs> you know, Bill, like, um, and so, so I didn't, I had no idea, but at the time he was like, he was very sick with his brain tumor. Um, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's um, crazy. And I, I, so I found that out, like, I guess later on, because, yeah, I, we, had, we talked, we, and then we ended up going back to the studio. I played him my band, a song off the, my band's EP that I had recorded and mixed, and he, you know, he was like, oh, this is pretty good. Like, all right, you, you know, and then we, he agreed to have me intern, and I was, like, freaking stoking out. Then, I, then like, I showed up on the scheduled day, which was maybe a month after that meeting, and Jason and Andrew and the, the studio manager at the time, I show up, they were all sitting on the the studio a like couch or just kind of somewhere like throughout the studio a and i was like hey guys you know my backpack on i was like i'm the new intern um they're like <laughs> they were so confused like who the fuck are you like they had no <laughs> idea i was coming in and yeah <laughs> i guess like someone's like well i talked with bill you know and they're like well oh they're like you did oh bill hasn't you know he hadn't been around at the studio i, I don't know exactly for how long but you know he'd been sick so i was like oh whoa so i ended up just driving I, you know, they're like, sorry, dude. And I was like, oh, okay. So I drove back home to Denver. And I was just like, what the fuck am I going to do? And then I sent an email to the studio manager, like begging, like, hey, I, I'm really sorry. You know, I need this to graduate. And I think there was some miscommunication. You know, I, I had no idea that Bill was sick. Wow. Is it possible for me to come and just like do anything you guys need? Like whatever. And he kind of like begrudgingly agreed. So then that whole summer, I, I'd come in like a few times a week and do the dishes. I remember I had to like go into the like drop ceiling and try and like spray all, like kill all the spiders. And <laughs> none of it was like too wow. bad, but just a yeah. lot of kind of like, you know, grunt work. We make. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. You were earning your uh, stripes, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that the studio, like the blaster room meant so much to me. It still felt like such an honor that I like got to be in the building. So I took everything I did to heart. Whether it was like the dishes, I was like, oh man, these are going to be, I'm going to make these dishes cleaner than they've ever been. You know, <laughs> I'm going to like, I'm going to clean up this shit on the toilet, like better than anyone has ever cleaned up the shit on the toilet. <laughs> I just had this kind of like this mentality of like, I'm anything I, that gets assigned to me, I'm going to like go above and beyond with and i think at a certain point it, it got noticed and then so they could start being like okay chris is chris is all right cool so they started giving me yeah. more and more stuff and then bill, bill and i forget the timeline exactly i'd say like maybe a month or two after i started my internship bill had his surgery and it was very successful and it was a really gnarly procedure yeah and i forget exactly what it's called or what like kind of the odds were but it was like scary and he came through on the other side came out the, on other, the other side, side of surgery yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, yeah. On the other side of surgery, he just was like a totally new person. I remember a week after it, I went over to his house and it was it was meeting him for the first time, truly. And he's like, Hey, I'm Bill. And he's like, He had so much energy. He's like, I'd like to meet you. Like, oh, so we've met before, right? Okay, you're interning. And he just, <laughs> it was really, really cool. And he's the Twitch got turned on. And he was kind of ready to like come back and kick ass. And so part of like healing from the brain surgery and getting back to normal, though, was like getting re-involved in the studio and getting some rust off with like engineering and stuff so he booked a bunch of friends and stuff you know and we're recording them kind of for pretty cheap or whatever and just to yeah get back into it yeah. and then 
I think at a certain point, though, things started getting really busy with, I think, descendant stuff, too. So he needed to kind of pass off some of that work. So pretty early on, he started handing some of that over to me. And that was like, I think, a big turning point for me at the studio. And what year was that? Was like my, I'm just curious. That, this was 2000. I think it was like early 2011. Uh, okay. I think it was like during my senior year of high school or sorry, uh, college. Um, senior year of college. Okay. Yep. Yep. And yeah, so I was mixing the Kiss cover album. And I think it was oh, yeah. Bill, Bill's Friends. I forget the name of the band at the time, but it was Lindsey Anderson's project. And it was really cool. It was a really, really awesome opportunity for me because I was mixing and then I sent in the mixes to Bill and he was giving me feedback. And Bill is very meticulous, has a very like specific idea of like how things need to sit in a mix. So it was a really, really great learning experience for me and to just to kind of like because up until that point, you know, I was just doing stuff for my friends and I was always the harshest critic of my stuff. And like, you know, everyone else would be like, cool, man, that sounds great. Awesome. And then me, I'd be doing it like tirelessly and innocently. Like, no, I still hate it. Like, I, you know, but so I just kind of keep tinkering with stuff. But so it was really great then to have someone come along and listen to my mixes, give really great feedback. And, you know, things started getting better. And Bill was like really crucial for me early on and just being a really great mentor and yeah, helping me kind of cool. like find, yeah find my path and my sound through his ears and just like the blast rooms aesthetic you know i think everyone here we kind of developed like our own specific thing but we all ha also have like a core of us that i think stems from bill's bill's aesthetic bills like uh his methodology and his ideology yeah, exactly there you go yep yep yeah that's cool man I yeah. mean, there's a lot that's great from your story. It sounds like there was many instances where you saw what was possible and then you just went for it. You put yourself out there to get those mm -hmm. opportunities and things, whether it was being in a band, whether it was playing in a band, whether yeah. it was being involved in the music industry. Like you said, you took a left turn into jazz, but you saw something that was possible just from a standpoint of your skill of playing bass, right? So you wanted to push yourself mm -hmm. a little bit. And mm -hmm. it sounds like you were getting into more progressive music and things, especially getting semi-obsessed with a band like Rush that's really progressive. Yeah, and yeah. Getty being a phenomenal bass player, I'm sure you gravitated towards that and you wanted to learn those yeah, songs. And 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And then it's also interesting that you went to school specifically for audio engineering. So like you said, you learned the foundation, the foundational mm -hmm. aspects of recording, but then you really got your feet wet by being thrust into this environment where they're actually recording bands or actually recording oh, yeah. and things. So oh, what was that like, I mean, that, that transition? Like, yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Because like, like at that point of end of college, like I had all this great foundation and recording and like the theory behind it. But I was still like, I don't think I wasn't outputting the kind of work that I was wanting to. So as soon as like I came up here, I, I was like obsessed. I feel like I was, I was taking everything in. I'd be kind of setting up and tearing down sessions for Jason or Andrew and I'd just see like their mic places. I'd be like, what? You know, and I'd see kind of how they were like getting the drum sounds that the blast room's known for. And I was, my mind was blown. And I was just like, it was just totally based on like same principles of kind of like what I had learned in school, but just taking it to like, really i guess to the extremes and also do this so, there was so much creativity behind it that which is not what was taught in school sure you know you we get like kind of like the, you know your standard you know your like your kick in your snare top your you know post mics on the toms but then there were these all these other sources that i just had never thought about you know putting a mic like underneath the floor tom point at the kick drum to kind of get the smack of the kick and also kind of a low rumble from the floor tom yeah also just like the room mics and kind of like having multiple sets of like room mics and automating them for different sections, like really bringing them up in the fills or even just like one like big snare flam and then like 
turning hallway mics on. So, you know, you get that kind of like, you that know, ambient room noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was like the big thing. It was just like the, I, I'd kind of thought of recording engineering as this science that needs to be solved. And there is, there's, it's a very technical job. At the same time, it's like, it's a very much an art form. And just sure. to see how musical and artistic the guys here were, it really kind of made a big impact on me. And yeah, I, I, I feel like I learned so much within like the first month. And then I and it developed, it kind of like helped, I developed an attitude against my schooling pretty early on. I was like, oh, I can't believe I went to college for this. It's stupid. I learned so much <laughs> being here <laughs> just for a couple months, you know? Sure. But also with that, as I took over, like running our internship program, I would bring in early on people that had no background in like the theory or like the different microphone types, or, like that kind of stuff. Some of like the really foundational aspects of like recording engineering. Yeah. And, well, it's kind of like when you're learning a language and you're learning it in mm-hmm. class and yeah. you learn the principal grammar associated with the language where you're placing the verbs and the nouns and everything. And you kind of learn the yeah. theory behind it. And then you go spend three months in Germany and you're speaking yeah. German every day, or you go to Japan and you're immersed in that and you're speaking the language. Yeah. Similar to that, or going to business school even, where you learn those foundational principles or those theoretical principles. And then you start running your own business and you realize, oh, I actually have to be much more creative. And there's so much other mm-hmm. layers to this, but I'm solving all these little problems and learning all these things. Yeah. I'm just immersing myself in it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But I, I guess with that though, is that like, I don't think I would have picked up as quickly or as much as if I didn't have that foundation. Same with the, like, right. you know, the student that goes over and immerses himself in Germany. Like, I don't think they would pick up the language, like, you know, actually being fluent in the language as quickly if they hadn't had the years of schooling ahead of that, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. They have to have that foundation or that foundation really, yeah. it can help. Yeah. A bit. yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah so we you- actually, like, I've started to kind of like require interns have like at least some base level of experience with Pro Tools, you know, also just the different microphone types, standard placements or, or not standard placements, but just like the, the different care that comes along with like ribbon mics and condensers and that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. I mean, especially if you're going to be interacting with that type of equipment all day, you want to respect yeah, the equipment yep. and just know the fundamental differences between some of the key items that you guys are using day to day. That makes perfect sense. I like yeah. how these days I'm a little bit older than you. I actually graduated in O2. I graduated high school in O2 and yeah, right yeah. grew up on a lot of the same bands that you mentioned earlier, Thrice, Thursday, yeah, Lincoln Park, Blink-182, massive Blink-182 fan. And yeah, cool. the barrier back then was Pro Tools was really expensive. And I like right. the idea now that you have a lot of different DAW interfaces mm-hmm. and software that you can use that maybe you can even dabble with it and do like a subscription-based service and teach yourself yeah some of those foundational principles yourself. You don't necessarily have to go to college for it, but you certainly can. I had a lot of friends that went to Full Sail for either oh, live yeah. live sound engineering or audio engineering. So that's kind of cool. The fact that maybe there's some interns that you interact with that a lot of them might be self-taught. They've been recording in their houses for a while. They've gotten mm-hmm. used to using things like Logic Pro Tools and Studio One. Is that something that you encounter now when you get interns into the studio? Oh, just experiment. Sorry, uh, experience with different DAWs. Yeah. Yeah. And not necessarily mm-hmm. going to college for it. I'm oh, sure you sure. get those interns too. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's definitely, there's no like schooling requirement, although it does kind of, I'd say, give people a little bit of an edge up you know, when we're inter- like uh, interviewing for interns. Sure. But no, I mean, what what the main thing that we're looking for is, yeah, a little like experience, at least with one of the DAWs and to be able to kind of like 
have some little bit of experience with Pro Tools. Like if someone comes in and like, you know, I've been using Logic for 10 years. I'm like a whiz at it, uh, but I've never used Pro Tools. And I'd say like, okay, like if you're going to enter in here, go download Pro Tools first, which is free. It just yeah. kind of like play around with a little bit so that you have a little bit <laughs> of sure. a head start co- coming here. Yeah. But different quick codes and things like that. You just want to be yeah, acquainted exactly. with those. Yeah, yeah I, that I makes... started with Logic. And then every time I go back now, I just feel like such an idiot. <laughs> I just always try like to try to use like the pro tools, key commands and like, ah, yeah, it's muscle memory after a while, you know, and there's always yeah. that learning curve yeah. when you switch DAWs. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's cool. Well, you covered a lot of my initial questions with your background, which oh, is cool. really cool with my long, my long winded. No, that was perfect, man. That was great. <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to know about you and it's really interesting. It's fascinating learning about your story. What gets yeah. you excited? I wanted to know what gets you excited about being behind the console? Is it the creative process? Because I've got so mm-hmm. many friends that they've either played in bands and now they do something completely unrelated or they played in bands at one point and then they actually they're behind the console or they're recording bands or they're working in studios. They really enjoy that process and the creative process and working with lots of different bands and artists. So what yeah. was it about being behind the console and getting immersed in the blasting room that made you say, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to focus on. I want to be behind the scenes. Yeah. And bands. I guess there's a few things there. I really love the camaraderie of working with a band and working Working, whether like it's an album, an EP or a single, there's just like kind of, you know, it's like you were all in this together. We're going in the trenches. It can be a little bit of a traumatic experience for people recording. It's not our natural habitat as musicians. And we have to kind of like be soloed out often, you know. That's a really good point, parts, actually. Like that. Yeah. And I guess I just really, there's something very vulnerable about that for musicians. And it kind of like creates this relationship between me and my clients that's like it's very unique it's very special like we may have only spent like you know 12 days in a row together but it's like a kind of like a summer camp thing where it's like okay we haven't spent much of our life together but we really spent a lot of that 12 we we, a lot of those 12 days together and we grew very close very quickly and it's kind of a a relationship that will last a lifetime now so I, i guess Early on, I, I, I loved that aspect of it. And I, I think I was one of the areas of my job that I excel at is kind of making people feel comfortable in those spaces of where they're like really insecure or like also struggling to come up with a part. I love working with people and kind of like, oh, you're going there. All right, let's try this. And like, oh, okay, maybe that didn't work, but now let's try this. Kind of that interplay of energy of like throwing out ideas, trying things. And yeah, I just, I find that so enjoyable and exciting. You, you know, even though that has been like however many years of me doing this, that, that still excites me and just trying new things. And then also it's just so fun to witness it like from the ground. Like, you know, we track the drums and like the whole time you're, you're kind of envisioning this finish line, right? Of like what this record is going to sound like. At least that's how my brain works. I have like a very, sometimes to a fault, I have a really good imagination when it comes to music. <laughs> so like, sure. you know, I play raw tracks and I'm just hearing this as like this big epic thing, even though it's just like kind of raw tracks sometimes and that need to be sweetened up. <laughs> like yeah, so you track the drums and it's like, it's, it's you, that finish line starts to get closer and closer and closer. And then it, that finish line starts getting fully realized. And you know, that, that, that has yet to get old to me. Yeah, that is exciting. That's one of my favorite parts about mm-hmm. being in the studio is just watching the song become a thing. It's like, yeah. it's a yep. painting. You're layering with sounds, you're painting with sounds and yep. you're throwing things at the canvas. And then all of a sudden it's this fully fledged product or you're halfway through mm-hmm. and you can see the finish line. So yep. that's very cool. And then along the way, you have those happy accidents where something magical happens. Like, Whoa. Yep. Yeah. That's yep. really the happy exciting. accidents are the, the best. Yep. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Would you consider yourself an engineer first and foremost, or would you consider yourself a producer? Maybe the latter, but I, just because like, I feel like I can't engineer without producing. Like if someone's like coming in, I'm just like record, like, and I'm just hired as an engineer and they're like playing and like, they're playing like, Oh, okay. Like uh, that's, you know, not my key. Like, Hey, like <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not just going to sit there and be like, cool, man, rad. You know, I'm going to help them and adjust you know, the part. And I think that's just part of the culture of the blast room a little bit. There's, we take a lot of ownership of everything that comes out of this building. So yeah. from like every note being played to like every tone that's being represented, there's a lot of pride that behind all of that. So, and a lot, you can't really get there without like helping and like producing, you know? Yeah. So. I mean, that's a really great point, Chris. I think maybe yeah. engineering, I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's actually really great. The engineering aspect and the production aspect, it might be two sides of the same coin. When mm -hmm. I think of engineering, you probably know who they are, MXPX, I'm a big fan. And I know they hired Casey Bates okay. to engineer their last record and he's been working with them. Okay, cool. And it, I find it hard to believe that he's just engineering. I'm sure those band members yeah. act as producers or executive producers, but there's got to be an element where he's saying, well, why don't you try it this way? Or why don't you try picking it this right. way? Or why don't you try this octave slide mm -hmm. right here? And yep. that is production, right? That is producing a song or a product. And it makes sense that you would want to make sure that this product leaves up to snuff and up to a specific mm -hmm. standard that the Blasting Room has set over the years because there's been so much quality that has come out of that recording studio and so many iconic records. I was yeah. curious, you mentioned 2011. Did you work on the Swellers record at all? Uh, so I was interning during the Swellers record. Um, okay. So yeah, I didn't work on it, but was kind of hanging around a little bit. And yeah, I got to meet Jono and uh, cool. Nick, I think is a singer, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, they're brothers. Yep. I had Jono on the podcast yep. oh, cool. say, maybe a year ago. It was quite a while ago, yeah. but great dude. Yeah. yeah. I love his yeah, coffee absolutely. company. Really great dude. Mm -hmm. I love that record. That's um, a big, big record for me. Yeah, that was a, that was a fun one. I think that was like the the only Fueled by Ramen release I think we've done. That makes but sense. That was really cool. They were kind yeah. of an interesting odd man out band for Fueled by Ramen. I know, for sure. Yeah. I think, I don't remember the exact story. I think it was that like Haley, this might be totally wrong, but I think, I thought I remember some story that like Haley was like a big fan of them and that kind of like helped, yeah. Yeah. you know, facilitate that. That makes sense. That tracks, they went on tour with Paramore around that time or just before they put out that record yeah. at, around the time that they yeah. got signed. And I know she's a big punk rock fan. She grew up on punk rock and stuff. And yeah. they were kind of like one of the newer punk rock bands. I think I heard once... Mm -hmm. In an interview, this is kind of going off on a tangent, but I heard once in an interview that Nick said that it was between Fuel by Ramen and Epitaph. They almost signed to Epitaph. Oh, really? Yeah. And they almost sound more to me like an Epitaph band. So who knows yeah, that, what would have happened. Totally. But yeah, that's very cool. This is kind of a good segue. What are some of the albums that you've worked on that you're most proud of? I mean, I was looking at your discography and it's impressive. I mean, you've got a lot of cool. fantastic Thank releases you. in your disco. Yeah. What are some noteworthy ones that you're really proud of? I'll say I'm like very proud of this new Rise Against album. Nowhere Generation? That was like a real, yep, yep. It was a real team effort. And I'm just like, I was proud of like what everyone did on that. And yeah, I, honestly though, with that album, <laughs> I will say there's 16 songs in that week completed and it was a tricky task to pick maybe it was even more than that it was a tricky task to pick the ones that made the album and i think mm -hmm. a few of my favorites are still yet to be released so i think oh, they're wow. gonna have a very bitchin b-sides release <laughs> yeah that album. Well, they've got some their yeah. b-sides records great yeah let's yeah. see i'm just curious um, so i'm i'm pretty excited about that because i think two or three of my favorites are still yet to like be released yet to emerge yeah there's 11 songs on the album so that's five b-sides floating yep. in the ether yep that's right yeah that's exciting yeah 
so I guess that's like the most recent, I guess, in just like the blaster room spirit, I'm trying to think others. An album that I got a mix pretty early on that I'm really proud of is Only Crime, which is Bill's side project. Yeah. Um, I did love, love that record. Um, and I really hope they do another one and I really hope I can mix it again. Same, yeah. dude. I love that project. I'm a massive Good Riddance fan. I grew up on Fat Records. Yeah. So oh, everything cool. Russ touches, I'm a huge fan of. Everything Bill touches, for that yeah. matter. I was a huge Descendants and All fan. I still am. I saw Descendants maybe a month That's ago. Awesome. I'm in Lawrence, oh, yeah? Kansas. Yeah, I'm in Lawrence, Kansas. Oh, yeah, so I yeah, went and saw awesome. him play. Yeah, it was great. It was really fun. You could tell it was a fun, safe atmosphere and everybody was having yeah, a great time. Good. That was the first show back in a year and a half that I'd seen. So they put on it. I would love to have seen them, like, I guess earlier on. Honestly, just to, to like kind of compare, because like the musicianship like at like a Descendants show now, it just blows my mind. Like yeah. every single one of those guys is just like so dead on. And I don't know, it's, it's mass, it's just super impressive to me. So I'm just curious of like oh, yeah. what it would have been like to kind of juxtapose those eras, you know? Unreal. Yeah. I think the first time I so, saw Descendants was mid 90s at Warp Tour. I want to say they were just as good. <laughs> I'm sure they were. Oh, really? Awesome. That's yeah, cool. they were killer then. And it's Warp Tour. So my little young mind was being blown every which way I went. Sure. I, I was seeing right. bands like No Effects and Pennywise. and But I do remember That's seeing cool. Descendants a long time ago. And for me, it was interesting because I didn't really realize that they were more or less getting back together in the mid 90s to put out Everything Sucks. Right. That was my first introduction yeah. to them. I'm 37. So oh, cool. I think the first time I heard that album, I was probably 13 or 14 years old. And I heard Coffee Mug on a compilation, one of those earlier epitaph comps. Oh, yeah. And so that was my first introduction. I didn't realize they had been around for over 10 years at that point, but great band. And then we mentioned Blink-182 earlier. I remember seeing the Descendants tattoo on Travis Barker's leg early on in the late 90s right. and stuff and seeing right. the influence there. Yeah. Yep. Well, cool. And you mentioned awesome. Rise Against. Rise Against is mm -hmm. almost synonymous with the Blasting Room at this point. Right. What's it like yeah. to work with those guys? They're the best. This is like I feel cheesy whenever I talk about those guys because like I just kind of bout positivity, but it's true. Like they're like the real deal, like in every sense, especially just as human beings. Like you know, I started interning in two thousand summer two thousand ten, so I, I interned through the whole recording of Endgame, and you know, I was just very much like a lowly intern. Tim was just like exhibited like the same kindness that he exhibits to me today like is what he exhibited back then he was just always asked me how i was doing and like it was very genuine and yeah and same with all of them i, I just i i think i just like remember some of it with him but same with joe like those guys have become like just good buddies of mine over the years joe and i like love to like nerd out and base stuff and yeah they're very, great one of my favorite bands of all time such a consistent band too i mean so yep. many great iconic songs what do you think it is about their universal appeal because they're kind of i say kind of a lot i need <laughs> i'm trying to strike that for my podcast uh, well uh, phrase. <laughs> i say um uh, um a shit ton so oh dude of that yeah we all do it's when i'm editing <laughs> those are the things that i'm taking out most of the time but everybody does it it's just part of how we speak to one another yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Rise Against. I've seen Rise Against play in front of maybe 30 people and I've seen okay. them play in front of 30,000 people. I saw them play at Riot Fest yeah. a couple of times and such a mm -hmm. great band. But for a punk rock band with a voice as unique as Tim's with such yeah. determined grit and growl in it, it's 
interesting that a band like that could be so universally praised and so universally liked and to have that mainstream appeal. What do you think it is? Because you're so close to them and so close to their art too and their music. What do you think made them the band that they are? What do you think gave them that push mainstream wise? Because they're kind of punk rock, but they also have this element of rock that is just very palatable for a wide variety of people. Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't think there's like a perfect answer to that question because I think I think so much of like, I don't know, our consumption of music and art is like, it, it's a mystery. You know what I mean? Like what, what we sure. think like, there's no exact formula to it, which is I think what makes it so special and kind of mystical, you know? Yeah. Um, but if I, if I had to like venture a guess, I think there's something really special about their messaging. I think their music matters a whole lot. It, I think it's helped kind of push like social issues. And without, I feel like they, they do a good job of doing that without being like too, no, I hate to say this, but like preachy or like, you know, because there's some like, it's so funny to me, like when fans, you know, you'll like kind of read some comments or whatever. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, why did Rise Against get so political? I'm like, what? Like <laughs> their name is Rise right. Against, you know, yeah. like. So like there's there's weight behind their song, you know, like this isn't just like a song about oh like I'm mad at my girlfriend. No, yeah. like this song is about like <laughs> this is fucked up, we need to fix it. Like I was always just so proud to intern during, you know, be part like in the slightest bit a part of September's children. Like I think that song like mm-hmm. was important for the time for like the LGBTQ youth to feel heard and like that a band of their cal or size and with megaphone like theirs to like say like we hear you and like this is fucked up society needs to do better you know Mm -hmm. so i think that plays a lot into it just like they are pushing social issues and i think sometimes that increases the amplitude of their voice yeah and tim also i think tim's got a great voice and a real knack for creating really singable melodies over some like sometimes like pretty intricate and like really energetic punk rock which is yeah sounds like it, it happened more often but like that's in, in of itself a pretty unique formula it's true his melodies are anthems more often than not and yes. i think you're right. right there is something behind the lyrical substance because it's not just mm-hmm. a catchy melody i think when i was younger i gravitated to the really catchy melodies and the big anthemic choruses but you're right yeah. There's something about having a chorus that has some substance and some weight behind it with the lyrical themes. And Mm -hmm. the early 2000s, you grew up around the same time I did. A lot of those songs were about relationships and things and kind of surface level problems that we have when we're younger. And that's something that I go back to now is the punk rock that I grew up on. And I identify with some of the lyrics more now. I listened to a band like Propagandi and mm-hmm. back then it, it yeah, was fast and it was aggressive that. and it had great melodies and he had a great voice. But now I listen to it and I'm hearing the words for the first time or at least in a new way. Mm-hmm. And I do that sometimes when I go back to those earlier Rise Against albums. And even now, I think I gravitate more towards lyrical substance like theirs. And that's true. There is something, I think even subconsciously, we don't even recognize it, but there's something with his words and his messaging and just the way he delivers it so emphatically and so powerfully. Totally. That I think people gravitate towards one oh, of my best sure. friends. He, he's also my business partner. He's going to be jazzed that I'm talking to you because Rise Against is his all-time favorite band. Oh, and cool. We've been listening to them since the unraveling. I think the first time I heard them, it was one of their first few demo songs. It was on a Fat Records compilation. It was before the unraveling even came out. Oh, and crazy. I was a fan of 88 Fingers Louie, Joe's previous band. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we were stoked. And then to hear that first record and everything subsequently since we've just been massive fans of. And I love That's the new awesome. records. 
definitely one of my favorite records. Oh, cool, man. Yeah. 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 It, it was my favorite of theirs, I guess. It was, I mean, it's just new, so maybe that may be part of it, but I feel like it's one of their, like, as a whole, stronger records. I'm like, I think every song is, like, really, really strong. Yeah, I would agree with that. There's um, no there's no fluff. You guys did a great job oh, sequencing it. And even with the B-sides, yeah. I'm sure some of the B-sides are total bangers. So I can't wait to hear yeah. those. But. Yeah, funny enough, like, and this is, maybe I shouldn't go on record saying this, but Nowhere Generation, the song is like my least favorite song on the record. Okay. <laughs> like, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's mainly just like not my thing, but like, so and I, and the whole time it's like, this is going to be the single. I just, I know it will be, but. Uh, and it's, yeah, it, it has that really quality great. to it, that singleness yeah. for sure yeah and it, it it's still a great song it's just uh i, I just kind of get a kick out of it but that's like the the thing that's like pushing it. I'm like, ah, but there's so many like great ones i think that's maybe and it, i think it's more just my taste but sure yeah. oh and i feel like i have to mention like with that question i think the band would be like upset if i just mentioned tim because that does that is like not representative like the thing i think that's also so special about the band is they really are like i feel like they represent like gestalt like at its highest where like them together is so much bigger than any of the individual pieces you know what i mean the song is greater it's than like parts. it's yeah exactly yep and i think it's just it's brandon's drumming like hit a feel it's that's something so special yeah. you know that mix with tim's messaging that mix with joe's just like monstrous and thunderous bass playing and like aggressive tone mm-hmm. you know that i think he's really kind of like is so iconic to the band you know and zach's lead playing and performance like i think it's just the yeah the, the sum of them is just i think massive yeah a force to be reckoned with yeah for sure yep. even joe's backup vocals i always love his backup vocals there's something oh yeah they yep. it works very well with tim's voice it's very cohesive and i always like the choruses with rise against when you have joe holding a note it just gives you that lift it just lifts that chorus yep. right out of the mix yeah right great stuff man totally. yeah cool that's a lot of fun i would love to be a fly on the wall in a studio while you guys are recording some of those songs i've heard that the blasting room has a very methodical process for recording albums i wanted to make sure i asked you this because i've always been curious about this process with the blasting room because i've read several interviews with bands who have recorded albums at the blasting room i think i was listening to matt skiba on a podcast and he was discussing this or maybe i was reading an interview yeah yeah, and when they were recording my shame is true it was very methodical in that you had derek recording the drums in one room and matt recording guitars in a separate room maybe even at the same time over demo tracks Mm -hmm. or maybe you can shed some light i'm not exactly sure what the process is but can you you describe that process yeah you betcha it's so i guess first each record is like a little different but one of the benefits that you kind of just touched on is that we are able to work on different pieces at the same time because we have multiple rooms so i'd say like the standard blast room album like treatment we almost always start with drums you know there'll be well, there'll be like a few days of prelay to like get stuff, the songs, iron out and just get material so that the drummer's playing to something instead of just, you know, a metronome. Sure. Uh, so whether it's just like a scratch vocal, scratch guitar, that kind of thing. So then we lay down the drums and then once like the single song is finished tracking, and then that goes to the drum editor. We edit the drums and just clean up anything that needs, you know, a little help here and there. And then once the drums are edited, they get sent to Studio B, which is typically where uh, we track the bass. And then that kind of keeps feeding until the drums are done. And then once drums are done, we move, sorry, reset up that room for guitars. And then we ship the finished basses. Sorry, 
<laughs> Hello, burpee. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we ship the finished bass tracks to Studio A and record the guitars. And then once we get like finished guitars, then those get shipped back to Studio B or C and we start tracking vocals. So yeah, it's kind of a little bit of like this assembly line thing. Yeah. And then once the vocals are done, they get edited. Any auxiliary stuff, extra like, you know, whether it's like tambourines or any sort of extra stuff that gets added on and then it gets ready for mixing. So like I said, it's not like the same for every project. For instance, like that Alkaline Trio record, Derek and Dan actually tracked the drums and bass together live. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, which oh, was just fucking awesome. You know, well, Derek's a beast and Dan's an incredible bass player. Yeah. You know, we, like, we, we did that. And, you know, we, we punched in a few things here and there with Dan later, but, and mainly just for like tuning. So like the, his performances were killer. But bass is always a terrible instrument to keep in tune. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's like half the uh, half the battle recording bass is just a very imperfect instrument. Sure. Yeah, and we we did that on the the last face to face record we did. Cool. Which that was also awesome. Scott is also just fucking He's a ripper. Insane. Oh yeah. my god, it was like as a bassist to just like watch that. I was just like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So fun. I feel like Scott has so his own iconic bass riffs. I mean, I listen to face-to-face yes. all the time and i'm just thinking man the bass it's almost as prominent as anything else the vocals it's got the hooks oh yeah and it should yeah. be just like <laughs> the parts are killer and it's playing is just like flawless he's um, such a ripper yeah, on that guitar was a real, too real treat yes i know do you, you know, do you follow him on any of like his uh like his i Instagram do yeah or whatever yeah oh uh, that's like my he's like my favorite follow just to like i don't know like when he went unfortunately yeah when eddie van halen passed away he like posted a whole like cover of i forget which song but just played it perfectly yeah. yeah i want to say it was maybe hopper teacher he played the opening riff yeah i, think I could right. be wrong Did he play the whole song he may have yeah there was a period of time where he was posting videos all the time and i was always excited yeah. to watch him because i was just in awe totally. of him yeah such yeah. a phenomenal guitar player and iconic bass player what a musician yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah for sure i'm sure he was a lot of fun to record i bet that was cool yep yeah he was fun to record and he also was, he was just fun to talk to he he has a million stories and like he like loves telling them so that was really i'm really sure fun. so i guess yeah does that answer that question of just a, like normal blast room order of events or how we do it it does yeah absolutely i think in some of the interviews that i've read they've mentioned that it's kind of like an assembly line which is yeah. still a, a great way to effectively make art it's not like you're trying to get it done as quickly as humanly possible you just have a method yeah. and i think that's good from a, an overall work standpoint yeah. because being in the studio can be an expensive proposition sometimes and yeah. it's good to have a process. I think a sequence of events. Yeah. Agreed. I think, I think we have to catch ourselves sometimes if we get, it's possible for us to get too into just like into the assembly line part of it. Yeah. But the benefit of it is also we have different engineers working on different parts of the album. So kind of all hands are on deck. All of us are offering input. Yeah. You know, that's the other thing that's kind of neat about it. You know, I'm sure you record everything, but what do you record the most and what do you enjoy recording the most um, in that process in that process so when we're doing like full blasting room productions i'm usually like just because we kind of work under like kind of a little bit of like the tenure of like who's been here the longest i typically if anything like i'll track the bass and like, there's been a couple records where i'll like track guitars and that kind of thing but like i'll often be like dude i'm known for doing like all the drum editing and some of the vocal editing although andrew is the king of that cool but it just kind of depends you know each project there's not like a set thing just calls for different things 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the last few years, especially with COVID and stuff, things at the studio have been looking a lot different. So the vast majority of my projects are like a lot of stuff like I'm bringing in, whether they're local or whatnot, where I'm doing all of it. Okay. And I'd say that's a little more normal these days just because travel's been so, you know, restricted and yeah, things have been looking a little different. Yeah. Sure. That's fun though. It gives you the opportunity to work with these local bands and maybe even try to cultivate their sound a little bit. That's gotta be fun. Yeah. And that's honestly one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. Yeah. What do you listen to these days? What are some albums or artists that you like listening to? Oh, some stuff that's stoking me out. I've gotten really into Deep Sea Diver the last mm-hmm. year or two. Jessica Dobson is just incredible. Yeah. I just saw them recently, like maybe a month ago. And that was so fun. Cool. So I'm in pretty into them. And then I'm also just still really into the things I was into in high school. I still love Thrice. Like I said, they put out a new record. I think it's really great. Circus Survive is another one of my favorite bands. They just put out a new EP. Yeah. I need to check that out. Yeah. I honestly haven't listened to the whole EP yet. That's like on my like maybe to-do list today. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, I'm trying to think what else is, I've been kind of stoked on. I've gotten a little bit into like Leprous. So yeah, I guess recently I've been in, getting into them. And I'm, so I'm a little behind the times on a few things. Them being one of them. Chon being one of them. Been really mm-hmm. enjoying them and Polyphia. So some of that like kind of instrumental, like proggy stuff. Do you like yeah. bands like Animals as Leaders or Periphery? I do like Periphery. Weirdly, I've seen Animals as Leaders a few times just because they opened for Price. Yeah. Um, I honestly, I probably would be. I need to just listen to them a little bit more. I'm weird with like my music consumption and it kind of goes back to maybe what I was saying earlier. Like I'll like obsess over an album and mm-hmm. then like kind of like maybe I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so if I never bought an album from a band, I never got into them. You know, like Alkaline Trio was a little bit that way for me. Like I always like, whenever I go back, I'm like, God, oh, this stuff's rad. But I never bought any of the records when I was like in high school. So I never like was a massive Alkaline Trio fan, you know? Sure. Which I- was like... A bummer, because I would have, I would have been super into them. <laughs> yeah, know? it's funny you mentioned Alkaline Trio. That's kind of how I was too. I remember the first time I saw them, they actually opened for Blink, and it didn't really do a whole lot for mm-hmm. me. I was a big Green Day fan growing up. I still am. That's my favorite band of all time. I oh, nice. discovered Dookie, yeah. and it was all over after that. But for that whatever true. reason, yeah. Alkaline Trio just didn't grab me immediately. It wasn't until mm-hmm. maybe the last six or seven years that I really got all in on Alkaline Trio. I just really love his voice, or both of their voices, really. Yeah, but Matt's voice. I think yeah, I connected sure, to Matt's yeah. voice. Place. Yeah, and yep. really went down that rabbit hole, and now I'm just fully obsessed with Alkaline Trio. And I even went back and listened to his solo stuff, and I really love his solo stuff too, his solo records. Yeah, yeah that's cool, man. Well, I just have a couple more questions. I, I want to be respectful sure. of your time on a Sunday. Yeah. Are there any other record producers that you're a huge fan of, as far as like how prolific they are, or maybe some of the records they've done, or the tones they've been able to get? Yes, I am a real big Neil Avron fan. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was literally thinking the yeah, he's like he's just mixing these days but I'd say like probably 70-75% of my mix references are his mixes any in particular I think he's do you love well yes the one that's been killing me recently is his mix of uh, all time low song Melancholy Kaleidoscope which I've never yeah I've never been an all time low fan but and even that album like I just think it sounds really great mm-hmm. that mix of kills me i just think it's so good so loud which is like tricky for referencing but everything just like sits perfectly in its place yeah everything's mega punchy and it's a little are you a fan of zach servini yeah so he produced that record yeah Um, yeah yeah i am i haven't like followed him like mega closely but yes everything that i've kind of like seen his name on that i've enjoyed i'm like damn okay cool it kind of bums me out how young he is i'm like damn it (laughs) it's kind of crazy how young he is but you're young too right it's crazy well, yeah, he's younger than me by like maybe like four years. 
So I was just like, because I, I always like, I'm, it's stupid, but like, I kind of like, when I look at like people like Neil Avron or Rich Costi or any of those like heroes of mine, I'm like, okay, I'll get there someday. It's okay. Like I got time. <laughs> and then, then this guy comes in and I'm just like, oh shit, he's four years younger than me. And he's like, this shit sounds amazing. Damn it. Gotta work hard. Yeah. Well, you know, I'd say you're doing amazing. And he had a unique circumstance where he was, I think, engineering for John Feldman, right? So John Feldman probably. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. showed him quite a bit, and that's a way to immerse yourself in recording, right? Oh, Just sure. With yeah. John Feldman for a few years, and then all of a sudden yep. he's mixing for Blink One Eighty Two, so he had some big mm-hmm. projects to work on immediately, and get his hands dirty on. So that's yep. pretty cool. But he is definitely paving a path for himself, and I agree. I think that all-time low record. I think as far as like pop rock is concerned, I don't know if it gets better. Yeah. Oh Just my gosh. Pop yeah. record mixes on just all around. Just- killer uh-huh. and i also i love neil young the giant mixes a lot of those are like in my mix ref not necessarily like like when i'm doing more kind of just rock stuff yeah yeah my band my old band we're recording new songs now which is kind of interesting because we were a band from 2000 to 2004 and mm-hmm. we we're a pop punk band punk rock band and we mm-hmm. were really good friends with yellow card and i okay, still yeah. remember I grew up on bands like Newfound Glory. I was 15 when that self-titled record came out. And that blew my mind. Just hearing Neil Avron's recording, it really, mm-hmm. something clicked when I heard that for the first time. But I remember talking to Ryan when he said they were going to record with Neil Avron. I was so excited. And I knew it was going to be a yeah. massive, massive hit. And it ultimately was. And I remember him saying he was excited because of his work with Everclear and Third Eye Blind and Newfound Glory. So I've been a mm-hmm. massive massive Neil Averon fan for 21 years now, 22 years now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Dude, I just have one more question for you. And this is kind of taking okay, a left yeah. turn. Colorado, okay. one of my best friends, he lives in Denver. Yeah. Colorado is a okay. place that promotes hiking and exercising and just being out yeah. in nature in general. Do you have any exercise regimens or anything like that? Or is there any way that you like yeah, to? Yeah, that's funny that you asked that. Yeah, because like I'm currently training for a half marathon. So before this conversation, I just got done with an eight mile run. Oh, cool. Good uh, for you, dude. Thanks. It's my first time, but it's good. But yeah, it's like I'd say staying active, like a, a huge thing for me and staying just for like my mental health too. I feel like if I'm not staying active, it's easy for me to let things spiral out of hand or out of control, you know? Absolutely. Um, well, we get all those happy chemicals so, when we move, right? Yeah. Yep. And uh, not a whole lot of moving integrated into this job, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I've definitely had to make that a, a pretty important part of life outside the studio. It's, yeah, so it, it kind of goes between running, like I'm doing that right now, but I also just kind of like, I do Orange Theory too, which is just like a, you know, CrossFit for, uh, for busy adults. want to like lift. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. want to lift heavy things and, more, and it's more like cardio based, you know? Right. Uh, which is. What I, I don't really care to lift heavy things. I'm more just like, I want, I guess I started doing it because I would go to do the things I love, like mountain biking or even just hiking. Like doing the things I love started to get like the enjoyment level of those things started going down because it was just like, I was so out of shape, you know? So Sure. It um, happens, my man. um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So yeah, doing, staying regular with that helps me like still enjoy the things I love doing, like mountain biking or snowboarding or that kind of stuff. And it also just kind of helps with the mental health kind of keeping things in tune, you know? Absolutely, man. Yeah. I had a bit of a physical transformation about 10 years ago, my late twenties. I'm actually a personal trainer by trade. That's what I do during the day. Oh, cool. And I, 
Yeah. Thanks, man. And I really got into lifting because that's ultimately what helped me change my body composition because I was really out of shape. Just for context, mm-hmm. I'm 5'11", I'm just shy of six foot. And I was about 60, mm-hmm. 65 pounds heavier than I am now. So I was at about 240 at my heaviest. So I lost okay, a, yeah. a bunch of body fat when I started lifting. And even now I'm not necessarily the type of person that is trying to lift as heavy as possible all the time. It's more like just consistent exercise and consistent strength training. And similar to the things that they do in Orange Theory, because they're not going to be going as heavy as possible, but they're going to integrate it with muscular conditioning and metabolic conditioning and that type of stuff with rowing and running. So that's cool, man. I'm right there with you. And I think it is probably great that you're integrating that in because when you're in front of a console and you're recording a band, you can spend hours just internally rotated, right? Yeah. So it's good yep. to counteract that by just getting some blood flow and getting some oh, for sure. exercise in. Yeah. And everyone here kind of has their own thing. You know, it's, I think we all, we've all had to be like, oh, if we don't do something, we're just going to like, you know, start slowly wasting away, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. And what Andrew, are the other guys Andrew's like doing? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So Andrew, Andrew's, yeah, he's crazy. He has a pretty big farm. Like he goes home to a, like a big farm with like, uh, like horses, like a ton of goats, like dogs. So like, he just gets all this exercise from like taking care of that. It, it blows my mind that he does that on top of our job. He's a, he's a <laughs> super, cool. su- super human. Yeah. So that keeps him really active. And Jason did CrossFit for the longest time and then got really into like Olympic weightlifting. Bill, he kind of does a similar thing that I do, like with kind of Orange Theory, but I forget what it's called, but it's actually like more yoga, involves yoga as one of the, like the station. The um, yeah. And then Jonathan, I guess Jonathan maybe is the exception right now. Jonathan's wasting away. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Colton, who's Colton is our like newest hire. I think I'm actually not sure what he does. Uh, I think he stays pretty active. He's also like younger than us. And he's still, I think his metabolism is still rocking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What a bastard. (laughs) What a bastard. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's cool, man. That's cool that you guys have that kind of integrated in your methodology at the studio and everything. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Dude, this has been a lot of fun. It's been really nice meeting you. Yeah. Thank you for humoring me and indulging me on this. Likewise. It's really cool. Yeah, I've always wanted to know more about the blasting room. And I think I just read on Instagram that you all are going to have a documentary made about you. Do you have any involvement with that? Yeah. Yeah, we all like are kind of, I think we're all like a little bit, I forget actually what the arrangement is, but maybe we're like all co-producers on it, but. Cool. So, I mean, currently the like involvement has like, we did interviews and, uh, you know, kind of like gave him some information, but it's, it's mainly like in their court. So a guy named Aaron Pendergast, I think I'm saying his name right. He lives in Denver and I think this is his brainchild, but then he partnered with our friend, Kevin Kirchner, who is a Fort Collins guy and he's just been around. He actually has been kind of a videographer for all the Rise Again sessions through the years and then other sessions as well. Cool. So he's pretty, he's kind of part of the family. So that, that's, that's pretty cool. But yeah, I'm sure I'm like, uh, I'm excited about it. Yeah. I'm sure they'll be interviewing lots of the bands and things like that. And the people, yeah, people yeah. like yourself and Bill and everybody who works there, Jason, and that'll be great. I yeah. love documentaries. So I'm always fascinated to see the behind the scenes stuff right there. Yeah. So that's very cool. Did it culminate? Did they get footage of the festival that you guys did a couple of years ago? Yes. So I think that'll be a part of it too. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's, uh, like you're talking about like the 25th anniversary show. Yeah. 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 That That's cool. cool. I have a loose connection to the blasting room and that show 
specifically, I have a friend named Steven Garcia and he played in a band called Armchair Martian. And I believe they were the first band to ever record at the Blasting Room. I didn't even realize that I was in a cover band with him very briefly. And this is all before COVID. And he told me that he was the first band to record at the Blasting Room. Holy shit. Are Mm -hmm. you serious? (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. We had to have them out for the show. <laughs> yeah, and then that I find out that fun. John yeah. Snodgrass is in the band as well. He's the singer, and I had no idea. I felt like such a poser. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it makes me feel better. I feel like a poser like every day here. Because, <laughs> dude, like, you have an excuse. Always... You're young. How old are you, by the way? <laughs> I'm 32. 32. Okay, yeah, you're still young. I'm yeah. 37. So we're we're about five <laughs> yeah. years difference in age. But yeah. well, very like, cool, whenever man. Bill. Yeah, when Bill ever Bill and like Jason and like Zach or any of those guys start like going off on like punk rock history, I'm like. Yeah, <laughs> I got nothing. It's got to be cool to just hear those stories and hear the history. And, oh, it's so, and yeah, love it. Be privy to it. Yeah, that's cool, man. Mm-hmm. And it probably gives you good perspective yeah. moving forward with some of these bands, too. Oh, for sure. Because you're creating history right now. It's just you'll be able to talk about it. I'm sure you've got a lot of stories yourself, but in 10 years, you're going to have even more and you're going to have a lot of really killer records to reflect back on and and look at and be proud of the things that you did there at the studio. So that's cool, man. Yeah. Well, cool. Chris, dude, it was rad, man. Thanks again. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. I hope you have a a wonderful rest of your Sunday. I hope you get to spend some good time with your family and your daughter and your wife. Yeah. Yeah. If you're ever in Lawrence or Kansas City, shoot me a line. Okay, we'll do. Yeah, I'll show you All around. All right, definitely will. All right, All right. cool, awesome. man. Thanks, Kyle. Well, thanks again. Cool. Thanks, Kyle. Awesome, dude. Have a good one, okay? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you too. All right, bye. She lied, she lied to the FBI when she told them she was innocent of victimless crime. Now I don't give a shit and I never drop dime on my baby though she gave it to the FBI. I lied, I lied to the FBI when I told Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be amazing wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you just want to recommend this podcast to a friend who might enjoy it. All right. Hope you have a wonderful day. Hope you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. I'll talk to you later. Hey.